11 minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And joining me to uh, take a look at uh, the latest in the world of money and power is Nkunz uh, Ngogwayo, the founder of Nkunz Mnyama Investments, Owen Nkomo. Nkunz. I'm well, my brother. How are you? No, I'm happy here. I'm fine. Yeah, man, long good, time, long time, long time, brother. It's uh, been a while. Yeah, thanks a lot. Let's maybe start off there with Transnet, uh, Nkunz. Uh, yeah. Force majeure on the back of a cyber attack. Uh, effectively uh, bringing to a standstill all of the port uh, or, you know, yeah, I guess the sea freight operations. Yeah, to a standstill. What is happening here? And uh, is it a continuation of what we saw around the 12th uh, through to the 14th of July? Yes, uh, big, big challenges there at Transnet, one about four. Um, we have had a cyber attack going through the networks of the company there. So obviously, Transnet being a, a company that uses technology and um, you know computer networks and so on and so on, they cannot operate at full capacity, and this attack is still being investigated. But they have gone out and said, "Listen, guys, we cannot be held responsible for any deliveries or any contractual responsibilities uh, that have emanated from from um, or that, that that have been caused by us." going through the cyber attack or, or being uh, attacked by these, uh, these cyber lunatics. Mm. So unfortunately for, 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 uh, for Transnet, they've had to declare force majeure, and some of their biggest clients have done the same for, for their, to their clients as well and their other partners just because uh, they don't know when this is going to get resolved. Mm. I mean, it must be one of those things where, you know, uh, this is a downside risk of d- digitization, you know, in some shape or form. Yes, they are the productivity gains, they are the convenience and other efficiency gains that come with deep investments in a port you know uh, environment like that in uh, digital support tools but uh, it also opens you up i guess and makes you quite vulnerable to this kind of attack no it does indeed and i guess what it says uh when I, it says we need to continue to invest aggressively on um the security of our mm. infrastructure and network in our businesses I mean, if you look at the U.S. right now, uh, President Biden is going to be hosting, if it hasn't happened already, a cyber, uh, cyber security conference, you know, with big business in America, which just shows the extent of this thing. You know, in America, the guys um, actually call for ransom to, to free your networks mm. if, they've, if they've hit you with a cyber attack like this one. So we, we, we certainly need to continue to improve our cyber security uh, systems and tools as a country, as companies as government departments, because these delays, um, or rather such interruption, can you imagine if it happened at uh, South African Airways? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I think it doesn't make it any better in this case, because, I mean, I heard from somebody, um, I think it was earlier on today, somewhere in social media, suggesting that, you know, some of our ports, uh, the biggest of which is, of course, Lisa Teguin, uh, yes. which is by vessel sort of volumes much larger than some of the other ones. I mean, I think 262 have gone through there in the month of June alone, uh, compared to say 17 out in East London, um, yes. but 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 if you think about I guess you know how hard this would hit you if it hits you Richards Bay it hits you in Saldana hits you you know in Durban what implications does this have then for the delays not just to the commodity you know sectors at a time of very favorable prices but also I guess you know if you think about uh, fruit exports and the exports of other secondary goods as well. Oh, most definitely, all of those things will, will get affected, particularly the fresh produce. Um, you know, with, with, with Transnet being affected like this, um, there's no delivery happening. Some of those, some of those goods are most going to, per- to be perished by the time they land wherever they need to. Yes. But uh, luckily, the, the current um, 
attack is, is, is mostly in, in the Devon port. But that being said, again, uh, the Devon port is responsible for the country's uh, major imports and exports, uh, counting for about 60% um, of, of, of volumes. So it, it's quite a big quite a big challenge that uh, the country is facing. You're talking about uh, impact on the supply chain. You're talking about the loss of uh, uh, GDP performance for the country. You know, any day that we lose of no economic performance is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Let's shift our attention now to uh, Lusaka. Now, uh, the Zambian Kwacha, I mean, I found this particular story that uh, Bloomberg was leading was very interesting. Zambian yeah. Kwacha, one of, uh, if not the best performing currency um, in the last month or so, and uh, a lot of this, uh, I guess, might have to do with um, the yields on, uh, you know, a Zambian debt or quacha denominated debt. But the other story, uh, which, of course, might, uh, I guess, have a bigger impact, is that of copper prices. What's happening here, Ngudz? Yes, 100%. Um, the price of So what's that? It's like it's... a windfall tax. So if, if the price reaches a certain level or the value of your exports hits a certain level, then the tariff you structure pay more, is different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's exactly what's happening. That's why the country's finances are going to look a little bit better, but business is going to pay more. But on a relative basis, um, you know, it's, you've seen a doubling in the copper price. And most people couldn't have budgeted for a hundred percent increase in in the copper pricing. So I think companies will still fare um, they'll still fare okay. Mm, mm. Talk to me then about I guess you know uh, yeah Bretton Woods institutions because we know I'm not sure if it's the IMF or the World Bank, but we know that uh, the Zambians were having very difficult discussions over their debt uh, with uh, one, if not I guess both of those uh, Bretton Woods institutions. What's happening there? Yeah, so so the, the, there's been renegotiations um, of, of some of the contracts, uh, which are relatively old, particularly on the IMF side, mm. uh, for emerging countries, particularly to try and get more favourable uh, trading terms. Um, so 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 for Zambia, if that goes the way of Zambia, I do believe that they will they will benefit. And I mean, one thing Zambia has done in this environment, for example, is to uh, nationalise one of the mines. Well, not necessarily nationalise, mm. but they 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 had to pay for one of the, the, the mines that was owned by Glencoe yes, that produces yes. copper, and they're taking advantage of these high levels of copper pricing. But mm. as you know, Africa. they'll take this money and they'll put it in the wrong places. Yeah, chief, chief. They'll fly you know, to and, London and for conferences. Exa- you know, it's so interesting, the case of Zambia, because when you speak about nationalization, uh, I mean, KK, uh, you know, uh, Kenneth yes. Kawunda, who um, we laid to rest not so long ago, uh, was involved in a very interesting, I guess, nationalization experiment in that part of the world. Mm. And a big chunk of that, yeah, showed us really that, uh, yeah, we don't make the prices of these things. We might have them in abundance, but we certainly don't make the prices and uh, we're a price taker because the moment prices tank, uh, then uh, the dynamics change. Yeah, most definitely. And, and Zambia, like you say, is a very peculiar uh, situation in the sense that Zambia's biggest export uh, is copper. And copper makes up 77% of their of their exports mm. when, when above. So you know if if you if you nationalise some of these assets and the world trades against you, as world will certainly do if you're an African country because you're in a continent where countries uh, are so divided. Instead of coming mm. together and trying to get into these bigger trade negotiations as a continent, you're going to see a, a decline in in the value of. Um, your products, you know, because people are going to go for alternative supplies of yeah. the same product. Yeah, I mean, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head then, Quincy, just this over-reliance on one export. Um, and I've just mm. shared for the purposes of our listeners on Twitter, 
uh, just an image of uh, the manufacturing value added as a percentage of everything they produce in Zambia. And uh, yeah, it's at a level where it was in 1960 or hovering just about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess it just speaks volumes about the need to diversify our economies. This idea of you can have an economy just based on the export of one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shy. Here in Africa. Ooh. Not no, just in Zambia. Look at Botswana mean, as well with diamonds. Hey, Baba. Botswana, mm. Nigeria even. You know, Angola. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Some difficult times there. But Nkunzi, on a much, I guess, uh, yeah, on a much better and more positive note, uh, the guys out at Yoko, Katlako Mapai and his team, will be very, very happy about the progress of their third round of funding here. Uh, what's the latest there? Oh, they've, they've done amazingly well, the guys. Um, they've raised north of 87-odd uh, million U.S. dollars. Um, so, so in rent terms, the money they have raised over the past year too mm. is now at about 1.6 billion. They're looking to into getting into other markets outside of South Africa. They're looking to deliver these products throughout the rest of the world. And you know, you've got founders of companies, big companies that have invested in this last round of capital raising. It's a big, big, big tick um, in terms of South African technology and creativity. It says we can't do it. We don't have to go to Silicon Valley. These guys did it sitting here in South Africa. Mm. Um, and, you know, they've got um, a lot of uh, small merchants, about 15 or 1,000 merchants, uh, driving 15 billion rands worth of wow. transactions through their systems. Yeah, and we just continue to wish them well. I mean, who are some of these investors here? That have, uh, I mean, I saw Future Growth as one. Who are some of the other ones? Yes, Future Growth is one of them. Um, but there's a bunch of American guys. Um, and some of the guys that started, uh, you know, these tech companies like Spotify, etc. I had um, a couple of venture names, venture capital names out there as well. But um, it's not guys that uh, we, we are familiar with here. This thing was really, was done in the U.S. Um, and most of the guys are in venture, in, in private equity and, 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 um, in, and venture capital. Mm. And I think that to, 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 to succeed in raising money like this for a South African uh, company, no longer starts up anymore. It's a very big take for, for, for these gentlemen. They have succeeded in, in doing what uh, only a few guys have been able to do in the country. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, and when you look at an entity like this, I mean, it was so interesting. They, they put out not, not just the fact that, you know, they service small enterprises with point-of-sale devices that wouldn't be accessible. But mm. I, I really like how they've used that to also get into an insights play that gives us some insight into many entrepreneurs in the micro space, who um, are people who use their point of sale devices and their state uh, or bill of health. Uh, and we've certainly seen uh, much of that data coming through uh, from Yoko, which uh, gives us some glimpse of an insight into what's happening in that segment of the market. 100%, because using that data, we can tell how many more transactions are happening mm. and the value of those transactions. And it gives us guidance to say, for example, with every level of lockdown that we have in the country, for example, how much transactions are going through the systems. Uh, this is already happening through normal credit card systems um, being measured through the bank infrastructure. But they also have a network that provides us with that, uh, that sort of data as well. And I really think it's a company that must get um, get proper recognition mm-hmm. uh, for their their international success. And I think these guys have a simple model, uh, and they just keep replicating it. And Spafi Selang Jayongkin Sanja, definitely, man. Kudos there to the team out at Yoko. Uh, they've certainly done uh, yeah a massive amount to uh, not just also I guess you know uh, further the cause of financial inclusion, but uh, yeah helping us and giving us a much stronger insight into the micro segments, uh, at least of all of retail-facing or, or client-facing businesses uh, in the B2C channel. Now, uh, Nkunzi, I am quite interested to hear your views on what's happening at Mango. 
Now, <laughs> I, I had the cabin crew association and the pilots association with us last night. And uh, we also have a chance tonight to speak to um, the portfolio committees uh, on uh, public enterprises chair, Kaya Makakla, about what's happening at Mango. Because uh, this is one, you know, it confuses, I'm not going to use this English, but it certainly does confuse uh, uh, much of my own understanding of uh, what should be happening in companies and what shouldn't. Yeah, um, it's quite sad when I'm forward to because it's yet again an entity that's uh, supported by by the government. Um, it means taxpayer monies by over the past me. few years haven't by been used and properly, me. and the guys have had all the time they needed to, to turn the business around. If you think about it, we have had a couple of airlines that started after Mango. Um, mm. If you're looking at um, SA Express, no, or rather SA Fly Safe, and this new airline called Lyft. You know, these have been started, and they will take advantage of the fact that Mango is now uh, temporarily on the ground. Mm. But uh, I mean, it's just a continuation of the same destruction of value uh, in the in the government-supported or government-owned enterpri- enterprises. Um, and I think it's just as well a reflection of what happened at SAA, where I've read again in the press today that they've let go of about 180-odd pilots. So I think in light of this conversation, the recent departure at Telcom of Mr. Masego mm. and the great work that he did at Telcom, which is formerly 100% owned state-owned enterprise, I think that the government needs to, to, to start thinking seriously about uh, considering a beneficial privatization of some of these entities. Because if you look at SAA, we never used to benefit from any pricing advantage there because it was a national airline. Mm. So I don't know that it serves anyone to retain these companies in the ownership of yeah. the government if and it you continues know, to step up on the, on the fiscus. But, and, and you know, the thing is for me with this one, Kunzi, um, and maybe I'd love to hear your view on this is that are we looking at the right places in the value chain? So the retail end of SAA, in my view, you know, even the investments they used to make in travel agencies that they got wrapped over the knuckles for by the competition authorities, all of that stuff has never really been about, I guess, working people, if I can put it that way. But I think that the real strategic part has always been in the technical capability. So the repair, the maintenance, that high-end skill for me, is what I fear might be lost here because all of us are talking about the retail part of SAA um, and it's a bit unclear about what's going to happen with SAA Technical, which doesn't only service SAA, by the way, but services the entire industry. So, so it's a bit 100%. weird. I mean, it's a bit weird for me, this defense uh, of uh, SAA when I guess we can't be defending Prasa in the same breath. Uh, but yeah, with SAA, it has many parts, um, you know, Air Chefs, SAA Technical, Mango, uh, and it does seem we weren't clear in the business rescue process whether or not that included the subsidiaries. But they're calling for another business rescue process now. And uh, I'm not sure what you, what you make <laughs> of And you and me are going to pay for that uh, through the tax, yes. to, through our taxes. Yes. Uh, it's unfortunate. You are losing quite a lot of skills there at SAA. And I think if you, if you can imagine if you'd retrench 180 pilots, if one had capital out there, you'd hire those guys, get um, license agreements for some of these uh, routes and mm. you could set up another airline. So those guys are simply going to be taken up by international airlines once the industry starts to recover. Mm. But for us, you know, SAA, uh, particularly as a technical, you know, it's been a big provider of revenue to, to, to the entity because they're not just servicing South African airlines, they're servicing even international airlines. So you sit there and you think, how is our government applying itself when they can lay such a giant come to its knees at such an expensive price to the sort of Ken citizenry. 
is quite sad. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was an appropriation bill um, of around, I think, uh, 2.7 billion. Uh, now, 819 million of that was supposed to go to Mango. Uh, and I think the other was supposed to go to SAA, uh, SAA Technical. Now, yeah, as of yesterday, the money hadn't come through. People hadn't paid, hadn't been paid since around March in full. Uh, sorry, around May um, in full. Um, uh. So there's a big question mark here. I mean, wh- what will a business rescue process change? Um, and more importantly, how do you stave off a liquidation, which I guess might uh, be a lot worse for other stakeholders, maybe outside of the creditors? Yeah, it, it's unfortunate because um, you're going to now spend lots of money on the business rescue team. Uh, we saw what happened with SAA. The guys were paid more than 30 million rands. Uh, and I imagine that it's probably going to cost, by the end of this whole process, could have gone up to 100 million. So one wants to think, isn't it better maybe to go out and get pay a high price for managers who have been involved in turnaround strategies before to see if they can step in with their ideas mm. and let them have a chance or a shot at turning the fortunes of uh, Mango around instead of us paying these huge, ridiculous rescue rescue business uh, costs when I, when I have on. Mm. I really think that my biggest issue is that our leadership in the in, in the government does, needs to start giving younger people like yourself a chance to come with their own ideas on how we should run some of these state-owned enterprises. You know, it, it, I don't believe it's rocket science. If, um, you know, smaller companies can, can be run and turn around, uh, faster and be consistently operating and making profits. Um, I do think that a company that is supported by by uh, the tax tax uh, support from us payers of tax mm. certainly has a bigger um, runway for yes. it to 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 generate these fortunes. Yeah, and you know, for me, what's sad, when Ankunzi, is you don't only lose the jobs or mm. you know the capacity. But what you lose is all of these years of embedded knowledge. I mean, yeah. some of which is very dangerous to lose. I mean, if, if you lose Danelle, you know, uh, you lose all of that intellectual property. Yeah. And I've said to, to the listeners before, I mean, South Africa had a very strong lithium battery uh, program that was mm. run through the CSIR and, you know, uh, some of our SOEs. And a lot of the people who left went to the U.S. And by the time the electronics boom happened there, uh, you know, they repurposed some of what they'd learned here and, uh, you know, made a significant amount of money. Yeah. And, yeah, we're sitting here, you know, on all of this knowledge and all of these minerals, and sometimes we, we don't do a good job. No, we don't. I mean, if you look at what happened at ESCOM as well, mm. uh, we, we got political about the decisions that were made. Yes, white guys that have been there for a very long time had the knowledge. We needed to create room for the black guys. But I think the way it was done mm. was terrible because for ESCOM, I hear that some of the managers who were let go we're now hired on a consultancy yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah. But also, and, yeah, I, there, even the suppliers, <laughs> I mean, this whole idea of, um, you know, uh, how the shift in coal contracts um, happened is also a story for another day. But I think... Absolutely. Yeah, but Ngunzi, just as we let you go, brother, I mean, I think the, um, yeah, the uh, all of the warning bells around this particular issue at Mango are, are really, I guess, you know, uh, sounding much stronger now. And the big question mark is, Will we learn anything from the SAA business rescue process that can help us make sure that this one is shorter, but also, I guess, its outcomes are much more successful? Look, one hopes so, but um, I, I believe that uh, we need to, to, to start changing how the government manages things um, in order for us to see better management of the state-owned enterprises. Sure. 
Kunz, as always, my brother, pleasure uh, catching up with you and thank you very much for your time. That there was Owen Komo, Nkunzi Ngogwake, yeah, the founder there uh, of uh, Nkunzi Wealth Management, uh, speaking to us this evening for our wrap of the top business stories.